Kia ora, I'm Andrew Whiteside. Aging is something that all of us face in life, and as a species, we are living far longer than previous generations. But how do we deal with the challenges and changes that aging brings? That is the central question posed by author and retired psychotherapist Juliet Batten in her new book, The Pomegranate Journal. In that, she shares snippets from her life over a period of time, including the joy but also difficulties in getting older, and she offers a unique perspective on how to adjust to it. In this interview with me, Juliet talks about the book and shares some of that wisdom. Juliet uh, Batten, really nice to talk to you this morning. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you, Andrew. That's very good. Um, I wanted to talk to you about uh, the Pomegranate Journal, um, which has just been published. A really fascinating book, and I, I wanted to know, first of all, what was the catalyst? Why did you really want to write this book? I think there were two things... One of them was uh, curiosity about aging and what lay ahead and the feeling that whatever was going to happen to me, I wanted to be there when it was (laughs) happening and I wanted to be there with my pen in my hand, being very aware of it. And the second one was, this is my 10th book and I've written some very complex books and I have written, um, you know, that involved a lot of research and collaborating with other people like Spirit of Aging, which is the predecessor to this one. And as I've got older, I have a craving for simplicity, just absolutely direct writing straight on the page without having to involve any kind of complexity at all. It's interesting you you mentioned that. I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit in terms of the interview, but you brought up simplicity. And I I get a very strong sense from you that, uh, that simplicity in life is the antidote or at least something that builds resilience and that is quite important for us to connect to, um, not necessarily just as we age but at any time, but, but particularly as we age and, and a connection to more simple things in life. Have I got you right there? You've got me exactly right. It, simplicity means it opens up spaciousness and spaciousness gives us time to integrate our experiences but also to reflect on them. And what I find as I get older is, is my reflections take me to a deeper level. And when when we're young, you know, we can have a very staccato rhythm. We're always going from here to there to here to there, and we're always in movement and, and switching from one thing to the next without much time to assimilate what's happening to us. And so things can accumulate and overtake us. And one of the delights of the, the new rhythm that I'm coming into with aging is this there's time for everything to be assimilated and um, to really harvest the fruits of what's happening to me. I guess in in reading this too, and it it kind of harmonizes with with some things I've noticed about myself as well, is that the the simplicity can, can include things such as gardening, cooking, doing chores, but but you are right there, present while you do them, and you take a great deal of joy and gratitude and soulfulness in in those things as well, because they're fundamental to our to our life. Yes, being being present gives life its best flavour. It means that um, those moments of beauty that can flash in in the day are experienced in a, with a real fullness. I remember when I was a lot younger, 
And I saw an old man walking down the street from the rest home that he was in, just a suburban rest home. And he stopped and he, there were roses there. And it's really a classic example. <laughs> he stopped to smell the roses. And he took a long, long time. And I was moved to tears by seeing that wow, because yeah. my life was so different. You talk about, um, about solitude versus loneliness and how solitude uh, can be a difficult and restless time, but it's important to, to sit with it. I'm just wondering if you can explore a little bit more of that for me. Yes, I have a lot of time in solitude, and especially with lockdowns. And solitude can absolutely be resonant with life, or if we see it as a place of deficit, it could be an agonized, lonely place, but... There's a particular experience of solitude I write about in the book, which is going on retreat. And I've had a lot of friends who wanted to go out and stay at my batch, and they arrive, and they come back early. They come back even after a day because yeah. they can't be the quiet. And there's a process, I find, which is on the first day, I'm absolutely ecstatic to be there and, and, and very happy and packing things away and so on. On the second day, things surface that I've been pushing away for a long time. And that solitude has great drawing power. And it can bring out wonderful things also, like creative ideas, but it can also bring out worries and hurts and anxieties. And going through the second day of a retreat at the batch means being able to process those and to bear it and see it as part of the process. And then on the third day, Everything, if I'm fortunate, everything will settle down and there can be a great sense of well-being, which I take back to town with me. And I guess, though, that, that's the thing that many of us struggle with is that middle bit, isn't it? And that's probably why people want to be busy or distracted, why, why Netflix and other things and social media become so important in people's minds, because sitting there and feeling the feelings and having those thoughts that may not necessarily be pleasant sometimes they can be but maybe not necessarily sitting with them is is really important so so how do you how do you stay in that moment without either feeling being feeling overwhelmed or the need to oh I've got to go and do something or I've got to leave or I've, you know how, how do you manage that yes it's true it can be very confronting and one way I stay with it is by writing Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I'll pick up my pen and I will write. And sometimes I will draw also. It, it helps to have a creative process to take it to. And musicians, you know, can, can take it into music. And a creative process to carry those feelings and hold us in them is very useful. I really um, liked uh, where you were talking about the gift of winter and, and, and appreciating each uh, season for what it brings and, and winter is often a time that I struggle with I try and find ways of not doing um, it, it, was that the gift of winter is is that a metaphor for resilience ah that's an interesting question I think the gift of winter is a metaphor for the capacity to be in our own depths mm -hmm. and that's where resilience arises rather than the more superficial life, which is always active and always out there, because winter does take us into our own quietness 
and and there is a depth to winter that I love. I grow uh, vegetables from time to time, and once I discovered that midwinter was the time for planting garlic, that kind of changed my impression of winter because I often viewed it as dark and dismal. And uh, but it actually can be a time of um, thought and renewal, both metaphorically and literally, with with nature. Yes, because it's a time of rest. It's a time when we demand less of ourselves and. And we need rest. Uh, when the deciduous trees in winter, their sap goes right down back into the earth and they're not working at putting out leaves anymore. So nature holds this wisdom also. And I love the metaphor of the planting of garlic. I see it as a <laughs> metaphor because in winter, if we can plant something within ourselves, I often plant a creative project mm. or gestate, gestate something, you know, it's like a seed that I'm holding within. It's not necessarily the time for full production that comes in the spring, but winter can be a great time for preparing ourselves and planting garlic and then a little bit later planting spring bulbs mm. in the soil is is a, a marvellous um, contemplative thing to do. Uh, you were also talking about uh, Qigong, is it, the uh, the ancient Chinese medicine um, around movement. Um, how has that helped you and, and how do you think it can help other people? That has helped me enormously. I discovered, you know, dealing with the, with pain and different health issues with ageing, that the Chinese hold the best wisdom on how to age well, Chinese and Japanese. You know, it's mm -hmm. there in the East. And I started doing Tai Chi years ago and then I shifted to Qigong which is a way of just moving energy through the body, through the electrical system of the body. And it, it's an incredible practice. It's just, a, it's like a moving meditation, you know, very slow movements. But it does um, clear out any, any dross or negativity from the body, the thing, whatever is accumulating, including pain. And it brings in very powerful, positive energy. So it's a win-win. You clear out what you don't want and you bring in what you do. And it's, it's extraordinarily energizing. And practicing it over a period of time, I, I practice every day, maybe several times a day. And it's um, when I first started doing it, after about three months, I thought, my goodness, I feel 10 years younger. Wow, yeah. It was extraordinary, and it now it keeps me young, and it keeps my mind fresh, and it looks after my brain. It's, it's, it's a wonderful practice. I, I wanted to ask you uh, your thoughts on ageism. Uh, there was that moment in the, in the book you write about the nurse, the ear nurse, who um, left you feeling demeaned after an appointment, and I, and I just wondered what your now, obviously, time has passed but, um, since that, but what, what are your thoughts on ageism and, uh, and how uh, we need to tackle it, I guess? When people just see the external person, um, a, a smaller body um, and a wrinkly body, prejudice just arises immediately. And I think a lot of people don't even know they have that mm. attitude because it's just looking at externals. And I want to be met for who I am on the inside. The patronising that comes in towards me as an older woman, I find very offensive. 
And I had a physiotherapist who was was a new one. And as soon as I got her exercises right, she said, good girl. Oh, wow. And I find it absolutely appalling to be treated as a child because when I'm feeling well and active, I have a, a manner that can deflect that because I, I won't behave in a helpless way. Hmm. No, no matter what's going on in my body, I won't behave like that. But if I'm really vulnerable and I'm going for a treatment and I'm in pain, I do feel diminished in, in how I present myself. That's when the ageism can strike and it's like you get taken advantage of in that moment. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wonder if people are... Uh, uh, Maybe they view this as as well meaning, but but yes, it is. You're an adult; you can comprehend things, and so to be spoken to like that is is actually. It's almost as though you're having these treatments done to you, as opposed to participating in what should be something uh, important for you. Exactly, the medical pr- um, practitioners who consult and and treat you as an equal are healing you with their attitude immediately. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And and healing is about the person concerned, about them taking on the responsibility of that yes. as well. So if you, being demeaned is not going to help with that. Absolutely. And I think a lot of um, women who came into nursing training in particular were not trained to distinguish between pity and compassion. Right, Yes. And when we're pitting someone, we're making them smaller. When we're holding compassion, we're meeting them as an equal. So the pomegranate, you write a lot about learning how the best way of um, (laughs) cutting them up and and, and eating them. What what was the significance of the pomegranate for you? You actually start the book talking about pomegranates. Yes, the very first sentence is, on my way to the coast, I bought a pomegranate. Indeed. <laughs> Little did I know what I was starting, because I, I hadn't I hadn't eaten a pomegranate. I didn't know how to cut it open, and it's a very hard cased fruit. And I left it for a long, long time trying to work out how to open it. And I realised this was becoming a metaphor for me about the aging process that lay ahead as I came into my mid seventies about gaining the wisdom, gaining the knowledge and opening, learning how to open the mystery and the enigma of ageing because I knew so little about it. Um, I sometimes say it's like a foreign country and I don't know the language and it hasn't been talked about enough for people um, from, from my elders. I haven't heard those conversations. And so the pomegranate and opening it up came in parallel with my starting to make discoveries about ageing as I wrote and as I reflected. And it felt like I was harvesting and tasting some very sweet seeds along with some bitter ones when <laughs> I being patronised, as I said, and, and that I was um, tapping into some ancient mystery that was yielding its secrets. I think what really interested me about how you wrote about um, finding out uh, all of that stuff about the pomegranate is you refused to Google. You didn't want instant information. You actually wanted to talk to people uh, about it. And and I was actually surprised how many of your friends knew <laughs> about pomegranates and had their own way of, of cutting them. But there was this connection, this human connection, 
and people passing on their stories as opposed to an almost impersonal Wikipedia um, explanation of what a pomegranate is and how you how you might cut it. And I, and I thought that was actually really quite beautiful and something that um, that as we age, but even when we're young, actually sharing stories about something as fundamentally uh, simple and beautiful as a pomegranate. Yes, sharing stories are so rich, and downloading information is is not. And if I'm inquiring into a mystery, I want to ask people, and I was really surprised by the number of approaches that people had to hmm. opening a pomegranate yeah. and their life experience that they gave me as they told me about it. <laughs> Yeah, fascinating, isn't it? Well, I have to say the the, the book uh, is quite intimate. I, I think you've been very brave to share a lot of um, things that have gone on in your life, some of the uh, minutiae that could be um, either embarrassing or, you know, many people won't share these kinds of things. There's difficulty for people. So I, I, I was very impressed that you'd done that. And so I'm just wondering, just finally, what, what would you say to people who maybe are your age or much younger than you, generally, just to, to help them or give them some sense of, of, of what, they may be, um, what may be coming for them? I would say to them, take care of your body, learn, learn the art of self-care, be prepared for another rhythm, don't try and live an old... Uh, young life in an old body that just makes for trouble and tension and don't be sucked in to believe in your own helplessness when you strike some of the challenges of aging. Believe in your resilience because you have a lifetime of knowledge and resource and you need to use that. That was Juliet Batten talking about her new book, The Pomegranate Journal, and offering some wisdom on how to age with grace. The book is out now. On my website, andrewwhitesa.com, you'll find plenty of interviews, reviews, information, and lots of my opinion on a range of issues. While there, you can also sign up for my regular newsletters. Uh, I am Andrew Whiteside. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you soon.